time for us to do something. Well, good evening. It's a, uh, a hectic week this week in Queensland. Uh, we have a state election coming up, but uh, more hectic than that is uh, the good source, and in particular at the head office here, uh, we're building our very first dedicated professional video studio. So this will be uh, perhaps, perhaps, I, I don't know, we can still use my office, but uh, this may be the last week that we're using my office to host Pello Talk Live. And as you can see behind me, there's a whole bunch of equipment, lights, etc., on stands and just mess everywhere. That's because uh, where I normally uh, shoot on the green screen, we've moved everything out and we're doing major construction there. I'll see if I can show you some photos later tonight. Uh, but first, uh, I want to celebrate the fact and, uh, and quite frankly, give thanks and praise to God for the fact that... Uh, uh, Supreme Court Justice Amy Coney Barrett was today confirmed uh, voting down partisan lines with only one Republican taking the uh, Democrat side. And I uh, just want to share some ideas with you on perhaps why the Democrats have a problem with uh, Judge Amy Coney Barrett, now Supreme Court Justice Amy Coney Barrett. And uh, they've got a lot of problems, but here's just seven of them. And the first one is uh, the Democrats seem to have a problem with the fact that elections have consequences. This has been stuck in their craw since they lost in 2016. They simply lost the election, and they've never recovered from the jarring reality, which uh, has shaken them out of their reverie. They gave it their best shot and rejected the result because they didn't win. Like their preferred debate strategy of cancelling their opponent rather than engaging with reality, they haven't stopped trying to cancel the 2016 election result. They signed petitions to overturn it. They impotently impeached the president, even though there was no more. There was a lot less evidence for him doing something wrong with Russia uh, than on Hunter Biden's laptop. They claimed Trump had cheated, that the Russians had interfered, the voters had been suppressed, the FBI had investigated crooked Hillary, the election had been rigged, the nation was sexist, and. The Constitution was unfair. Any of these would be terrible if true, but not a shred of evidence could be produced to confirm their shrieks that Trump had stolen the election and didn't deserve to be there. The biggest problem Democrats have is their failure to graciously accept that elections have consequence. But their second problem is that they don't understand the simple fact that the United States is not a democracy. It is a democratic republic. It's a republic. They uh, don't understand the Electoral College. They think it's an inconvenient fancy of the Founding Fathers and has no relevance in a modern progressive society. But it's not. It's actually very important. If you want to change the Constitution, tantrums aren't how that's done. There's an order part to law and order. The Electoral College in America makes sure a tiny majority of heavily populated states, California and New York, can't impose their will on a large majority of sparsely populated states. They wanted to bring everybody together when they formed their constitution, and that's how they got the independent states to become the United States, by making sure that all the others who they wanted to voluntarily join in weren't simply subservient to California and New York. Who would we want to be who would want to be part of that party other than California and New York? Now the Electoral College strikes a careful balance. It does give those big states more power per person than some of the smaller states. Uh, it gives them more votes than some of the smaller states, but not per person. 
They strike the balance between respecting the sheer volume of voters in some states with the need to assure the ongoing participation in the, magic word, union of the other states. For Democrats who don't like this, when their candidate wins the constitutionally irrelevant popular vote, but not the election, well, see number one above. Elections have consequences. Now, here's the major sticking point for them. Number three, the third problem Democrats have with Amy Coney Barrett is the Supreme Court is not a legislature. Now, they're, they're talking about a right-dominated uh, Supreme Court right now, which, uh, you know, there's uh, it, it's getting that way, but some of those people that account that were nominated by Republican presidents are certainly not right. They're at best swinging. Um, John Roberts is, is one in particular. Now, the reason they care so much about the Supreme Court is because when they lose elections, saw losers, Democrats, over the decades, one of their strategies has been to reinvent the Supreme Court into not just a place that interprets law, but a place that makes law, a legislature. This has no reference to the Constitution. That's not how it was designed. It's a vain imagination of progressives who will stop at nothing to obtain power when they lose lawful elections. Amy Coney Barrett rejects this idea. She doesn't promote right ideas. She hasn't ever indicated that she would promote right ideas. She's indicated that she doesn't care about her religion. She doesn't care about her preferred policies. She will just interpret the law. Now, that's not a right-dominated Supreme Court. That's a law-dominated Supreme Court, something the Democrats are terribly afraid of because they're not terribly fond of the Constitution. Amy Coney Barrett, here's a quote. She has said, courts are not designed to solve every problem or right every wrong in our life. The policy decisions and value judgments of government must be made by the political branches, not the legislate, not the legal branches. These political branches were elected by and therefore accountable to the people. Nobody can fire Amy Coney Barrett. Nobody can fire Ruth Bader Ginsburg. They can make terrible decisions and they're not accountable. And that's why they shouldn't be making law. They should only be interpreting the laws that have already been democratically implemented. Public should not expect courts to do so, and the courts should not try. She continues in quoting, when I write an opinion resolving a case, I read every word from the perspective of the losing party. I ask myself, how would I view the decision if one of my children was the party I was ruling against, even though I would not like the result? Would I understand that the decision was fairly reasoned and grounded in the law? That is the standard I set for myself in every case, and it is the standard I will follow as long as I am a judge on any court. Now, if she had have said, is it conservative? Is it religiously fundamental? Is it Jesus honoring? Then the Democrats would have something to complain about. But they don't because she didn't. She said she interprets the law. If you don't like the law, win an election. Change the law. Democrats lost the presidency. Problem number four, they lost the presidency. One of the consequences of the 2016 election is that Democrats didn't get their presidential candidate into the Oval Office. As much as they don't like that, it is nevertheless one of the consequences of the election they lost that the winner, the president, has the constitutionally prescribed role of nominating someone to fill any vacancies arising in the Supreme Court of the United States. This isn't opportunistic. This was the way it has been since the everything was implemented, since the Constitution was written. Now the Democrats are absolutely convinced that if the polls are right and Donald Trump isn't long for the Oval Office, uh, then then they could be choosing and should be choosing the next person. But uh, bad luck, Hillary lost. And so, you know, 
you don't get Hillary choosing the president. You don't get Ruth, the next Supreme Court justice. You don't get Ruth Bader Ginsburg choosing the next Supreme Court justice. There's a constitutionally prescribed process for doing this, like it or lump it. Problem number five, not only did Democrats lose the presidency, they lost the Senate. Again, in 2016, 34 of the 100 Senate seats were contested. Republicans entered that election with a Senate majority of four seats and they only lost two. They still have the majority. So the Constitution prescribes that the president gets to choose, uh, nominate somebody for the vacancy, but the Senate doesn't have to confirm them. But when the Senate is friendly, they can do what they want. And they wanted to. So they have today confirmed Amy Coney Barrett as a Supreme Court justice for the rest of her natural life or until she resigns or is impeached. Number six, the problem of problem seven problems that the Democrats have with Amy Coney Barrett is that not only have they lost the presidency and lost the Senate, they've lost the argument. In keeping with their preference to vandalise reality rather than accept it, Democrats have decided to pack the court if Biden or Harris becomes president. Now, for 150 years, there have been exactly nine seats on the Supreme Court, sometimes vacant and then filled as soon as practical after a nomination and successful confirmation as per the Constitution. This is only in legislation, though. Nine seats is legislated, not constituted. Faced with the dawning prospect of losing their political weapon, the super legislature of the Supreme Court, because they like circumventing democracy. And this is uh, one of the tools they've used to implement radical agendas like the undefinition of, of marriage and the liberalization of abortion. Democrats want to double down. And if they get the presidency, their plan is to pack the court, which literally means to add more seats than there has been for 150 years. They're going to change the balance by just putting more seats in there so they can fill them with judicial activists. An activist is someone who implements their preferred policy as opposed to an originalist or a textualist who does what the Constitution originally was intended for them to do uh, and, and intended to say and intended to guide the law of lands. You don't like that. You don't impo impose your preferred policy. You interpret the law and send it back to the elected politicians if you want to change the law. However, uh, Americans are not convinced that the tantrum should continue. A Gallup poll shows that Democrats' arguments, that the Democrat arguments for waiting until after the election, as opposed to doing what the Constitution says, are not cutting through. And 5% and more Americans want ACB confirmed than those who don't. Another poll, Morning by Morning Consult, shows that while only 7% of Republicans think the Senate should not confirm ACB, 32% of Democrats think the Senate should vote to confirm them, uh, confirm her. Even the left-leaning American Bar Association gave her its highest review rating as a well-qualified nomination. The only reason Democrats don't want ACB confirmed, Amy Coney Barrett confirmed to the Supreme Court, is because she's not her pick, and they won't do what she won't do what they want her to do. She will do the law. Problem number seven, Democrats have lost all credibility. The tantrum has not abated since they lost in 2016. The fury has reached such fevered pitches that reliable polling has become all but impossible, requiring more mystical peering into opaque minds of voters than science or survey due to the understandable fear of admitting anything other 
than radical leftist inclinations. It's a dangerous thing in America to uh, admit you're pro-Trump, especially in some states. Not content with undefining marriage and gender, Democrats confronted with intentions of adding more seats to the court have undefined packing the court to now mean doing what the Constitution provides can be done with SCOTUS. Of course, that's a bad thing to them. And so they apply juvenile logic to their dilemma and conclude two wrongs will make a right. They can also pack the court. They're simply making stuff up. President Trump will be re-elected as President of the United States. Amy Coney Barrett has been confirmed as the ninth, uh, filling the ninth seat on the Supreme Court. Uh, and he will probably be re-elected with an increased majority, if not landslide result, landslide result, due to the fact that Democrats have completely failed to accept the 2016 election results and its consequences. They failed to moderate their tantrums or to even turn up to the serious business of government. Now, we're going to talk about the Queensland election very largely tonight. Uh, and uh, first, I want to welcome to uh, Pello Talk Live our guests for this evening, including the recently released Mareka Rancy, political posting mama. Welcome to Pello Talk Live. Thanks, Dave. Yep, released. Yeah, that's generous. But yeah, we've got some of our freedoms back, so it's exciting. It is, it is. And also, welcome to. Sorry, Mareka, cut you off there. I said, at least I'll be able to hit the shops. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Now we've got uh, Steve. Steve, for some reason, I've got it might be low bandwidth at your end, but we haven't got your picture coming through. Um, you might need to disconnect and uh, jump back in. Uh, Mareka, it, it seems like um, you've been released. It seems like cause for celebration. Uh, but it, it struck me as I was watching the news about um, the new lower level of restrictions that you still don't have freedom, but. Uh, you know, it's like a prisoner being on day release um, from hard labour. Um, you're still a jail. You're still captive. You still don't have God-given freedoms, um, but you've got uh, one or, or two degrees less oppression and, and tyranny um, than yeah. you did yesterday. It's just crazy that this seems like a cause for celebration. Yeah, it's a real psychological um, head trip, actually, because uh, we all were very excited and, and you feel like, whoa, I've, you know, I um, yeah, I, I get to go to the shops. Thank you. Thank you, Chairman Dan. I'm, I'm, you know, thrilled about this. And you genuinely are because for, you know, we've been in hard lockdown for seven months, but ultimately we've gone from stage four to stage, stage three. Um, and uh, we have got some of our freedoms back, but not all of our freedoms back. Um, but yes, it's it's uh, it's going to be an interesting time. So the shops will open up here in Victoria from eleven fifty nine pm, um, but there's limits on how many can be in, in the stores um, in any of the retail outlets. There's limits on who can go into the the restaurants or cafes, which will also open up um what else have we got so at the moment we can have two people visit our home um Ooh. so yeah exactly so two adults and they can bring their dependents but once again there's limits on big families so if you're a big family um you you can't do that um we i think it's five is it might be the limit um 25 kilometer range again is still in place so we've we've still got that and no one seemed to notice the fact that daniel andrews has basically extended our lockdown by another week we were initially going to be released on the 1st of november and now it's the 8th of november so um while initially it was kind of exciting because we didn't think we were going to get anything um when you actually think about it, it it's yeah it's like 
um, being let out of time out as a little toddler and, and you can have a little bit of, you know, food or something, <laughs> but you're ultimately still back in time out. It's, yeah. It, yeah. It's just just insane. Hey, uh, welcome to the show, Steve and Kyla. Good to have you with us. Thanks, Doug. Just the internet's causing, <coughs> excuse me, internet's causing a bit of issue probably up here because of the big thunderstorms we've been having. It's uh, the Malcolm Turnbull NBN. Um, it, it is what it is. <laughs> yeah. uh, now, what do you uh, take? Uh, this is my dog, by the way. You can just see over my shoulder. <laughs> He's oh. petrified of thunderstorms. <laughs> so the, he, we don't allow big dogs inside, but uh, this one gets an, an exception. Well, he's not that big. He's a blue healer. But um, anyway, <laughs> ignore the dog. He's just uh, afraid of loud noises. Actually, oh, you know, a plane doesn't worry him. Um, but whenever it's thunder, that's that's the deal breaker for him. Steve, how crazy is it that um, level three restrictions uh, in Victoria seem like a cause for celebration? It's very hard to know, isn't it? Because we haven't lived through any of this. We've been a fortunate state. And New South Wales has been a fortunate state. Western Australia has been a fortunate state. Tasmania has been a fortunate state. ACT has mm. been a fortunate territory. I've said with you and your show and all the people who watch that I take the politics out of things and I just want the best thing for people. Uh, so not to live through this, I'm ignorant of what it would be like because I never have had to do it. Uh, I think all of Australia was cheering on for the health, physical and mental of all Victorians, of no matter what political spectrum they came from and are from. We just wanted people to be mentally well, yep. physically well, and we appreciate that as things, as time moves forward, that people can hopefully now move forward. The time is now coming where we as a nation really need to be a nation because we have some huge economic uh, hurdles to get over and past. And they're in fact, they're enormous. We now need to be all Australians and uh, work collaboratively totally every day for probably years and years. Yep. And as long as anyone in Victoria today is happier, is feeling something of a burden is being lifted off their shoulders, then I personally do not care about their politics. I mm. want them to feel as though those very heavy shoulders that they've been living on and under hopefully today getting lighter and then for the next time periods it's getting lighter for them their family and their friends and i'm going to take the politics out of it and go to things that matter and that's people and yes the politics do matter to people but yep. today as long as Marika and her friends and her families from all different political persuasions find that today on tuesday their life has got a little bit better then I'll take that. And then tomorrow it gets a little bit better and I'll take that for them because the rest of Australia desperately needs, from an economic point of view, the Victorian state to start again. When you have one-fifth of the Australian national economic activity not working, everyone knows across it from Cooktown to Broome to Perth to Adelaide to Broken Hill to Wagga Wagga, to Dubbo, to Blackall, to Cairns, to Shepparton. 
it's so interdependent, it's so reliant on each other. We need this state to be back to where it can be. And Marika, I just want the best for your state because we are all Australians. We need this to really start to happen. And I'm just so glad that there's a tiny crack and now I want it to really grow for the physical and mental well-being of all the Victorian people. Yep. Well, uh, also welcome tonight to uh, James McPherson, uh, one of uh, the uh, best podcasts on The Good Source, um, uh, perhaps uh, only because he's just so funny all the time and, and makes us able to laugh at the insanity going on. James, one of the things that's made me laugh today uh, was uh, journalists in the media, I'm hearing, uh, admit I've been um, more you know, in sawdust than news reports uh, this week. But it, it seems like I've heard the media saying that uh, the way Victoria is at the moment is um, things that have been unable to be achieved elsewhere in the world, that Daniel Andrews has, has done the impossible. Uh, like, <laughs> uh, what are they smoking? <laughs> it's right. I, I saw someone, uh, so I think it was ABC News reported, I think it was the ABC, that Melbourne is the envy of the world. Right, uh, which is news to everybody, um, except the <laughs> media bubble. Uh, look, we're all thrilled that it seems like perhaps we're at the beginning of the end. Uh, but one must not forget that uh, Melbourne have managed to get this second wave under control. But the second wave was created by government bungling that has yet to be addressed, and that the government themselves refuse to be accountable for. So. Uh, we're absolutely thrilled that the fire has been put out, but a little disturbed that the arsonist who is holding the hose and claiming credit for putting out the fire seems to be getting all the plaudits. Mm. It, it is it is incredible. It's it's like uh, it's like he's got a four wheel motorbike and and torn up uh, somebody's front yard and then got credit for filling in the mud holes and, and re-turfing it. It's like, well, no, you vandalised the whole place, buddy, uh, and nobody else's front light yard was looking like that except yours. Um, so this is the new normal where um, the worst-run state in Australia uh, with many, many, many times more deaths um, resulting from directly from bureaucratic ineptitude is uh, now the envy of the world, according to uh, leftist media. Welcome to all the viewers tonight. We're um, live streaming to uh, my Facebook page and YouTube channel, as well as uh, political posting mummers. Um, and uh, we'll be able to get this on the Good Source channels as well. Um, now, I, I just want to, uh, I guess, pivot to the Queensland election. There's a lot to talk about in the Queensland election, which will... Uh, really mirror what's going on in politics around the rest of Australia. Uh, we've seen the ACT election, we've seen the Northern Territory election, and we've also seen the New Zealand election uh, come heavily in favour of leftist incumbent governments at the moment. And, and that's not boding well uh, for Queenslanders who would prefer a right of Stalin government. Um, 
I caught up earlier today with uh, Damien Tomlinson from uh, from the Courier Mail. He's uh, the assistant or the deputy nighttime editor uh, there. So he'll be working very hard and and crazy this week and and last week in in getting ready for the election. But he managed to spare me uh, ten minutes or so. And uh, we just had a quick bit of an overview, which will be a good prompter for uh, some further conversation for us tonight. So we'll just flick to that. And uh, welcome to Pello Talk Live, Damien Tomlinson. Damien, thank you so much for joining uh, Pello Talk Live tonight. Uh, thank you for uh, spending some time because I know you're absolutely flat out um, getting the news ready for this hectic election week. Um, and uh, what I want to know in these few moments you can spare is your thoughts on on how the election is going. We're now just days away from deciding who the dictator for Queensland will be for the next four years. Um, is LNP doing enough to, to tip the scales and uh, win this election? Look, I, I think thanks for having me on, Dave, again. It's always a pleasure to, to be here. And sorry, I can't be part of the live panel, but hopefully I'll give you a few uh, few nuggets to uh, to to uh, you know flesh out with the other other crew. Uh, look, it's 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 go week. Um, it, this is it for for Queensland. Uh, on Saturday, we we do our deed, and uh, whether we actually get a definitive result is the big question. With the number of pre polls as the as a modern trend is, everyone's out there voting today, yesterday, and every day leading up. And I think turnout on the actual day will be quite disappointing. But uh, look, as far as my thoughts on you know the final week as we round the last bend on this election, um, I think what we're seeing are two very different campaigns and and a very different uh, election uh, from what we all uh, considered would be unfolding at, even six months ago. I think now the coronavirus uh, pandemic has has really changed a lot of things in Queensland, certainly economically, uh, and I think a lot of those uh, economic mm. uh, tremors are yet to play out and won't for another year at least. Um, but we're seeing Labor uh, try to present, uh, you know, a steady hand, a secure and safe, stable uh, government. Uh, Anastasia Palaszczuk is doing the rounds of the state, hitting all the uh, the sensitive seats that the analysts tell them they need to um, put some face time in on, um, and do it, just doing the right thing, just presenting that stable, friendly face. Uh, you know, trust me, I'll I'll lead us through this pandemic and and into the recovery. We've all seen the. Uh, so, you know, there's uh, hilarious uh, booklets that they all seem to hold with the cover facing forward in their press conferences, the Queensland Economic Recovery Plan. Uh, the Courier-Mail's done a lot of um, uh, stories about those, just the, the ridiculousness of, you know, the, the consultants have clearly told them that if you present the plan at the pr press conference, people will believe you have a plan. Uh, so that seems to be uh, gaining wow. some traction. On the conservative side, the, the, the LNP is really fighting against it because uh, in times of crisis, you know, we, we know from history that uh, crises uh, favour incumbent governments. And um, uh, so their their task, which was to over, overpower a, a very uh, entrenched Labor government, uh, is all the all the harder now, uh, given the circumstances of the pandemic. And uh, Deb Frecklington, to, to her credit, I think, uh, has, has punched as hard as she can. But I think the the overall outfit, uh, the LNP outfit, uh, possibly, if I could offer a criticism, isn't offering uh, enough mongrel to to present that challenge. And I think, you know, there's been some nasty stuff coming out in the last few days, and, and whether that's, you know, going to impress anyone uh, is is yet to be seen. But I think um, I think what we're seeing is the dying stages of of a, an election campaign that will probably favour the incumbent.
I look. Uh, do you think it's just me, or is the 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 issues of uh, abortion and euthanasia um, an area where the LNP could have gained some traction on if they were willing to fight on it? Look, you could argue that uh, as a point of difference, you know, uh, to, to bring in some issues that are really going to divide the community uh, because, you know, they're controversial and, uh, you know, those dinner party conversations that, that can get awkward. I think that's that th those issues are the, uh, you know, usually nest, uh, usually with the uh, cons conservatives to bring up. And look, potentially as a wildcard, it might have been something that could have could have broken uh the campaign a little bit wider. Um, it, it possibly is telling that they haven't uh, used this as a platform to to raise those issues because, you know, simply they just want to uh, to try and convince people to to step right instead of step left. If you know what I mean, it's rather than a wholesale mm. change. Do you think um, the Labor Party is banking on the fact that uh, getting uh, some of the most heinous, extreme abortion laws passed early in their election term in this term of parliament uh, was something that's made it fade from memory and, and fade from uh, the fact that, uh, especially given LNP's willingness to run the ball up, Deb Frecklington just really wants to dodge the issue. Um, you know, the fact that full-term abortion, uh, doctors don't get freedom of conscience um, and abortions for any reason at any stage of pregnancy on demand. Um, do, you, do you think Labor's counting on on a short-term memory and, and for the same reason will uh, implement euthanasia early in the next term? Look, there's no doubt that uh, politically, you know, politicians of all stripes, you do those uh, yucky jobs early on in your term and, and hope that by the time it come, comes time for election, people have forgotten. And certainly, you know, that is a highly controversial issue uh, and, you know, opinions favour each each direction, uh, depending on your, your politics as well. But if I may offer something, it would be that the, you know, the same could be said for uh, Queensland's economic uh, history in that, mm. you know, our performance in the, in the recent years has been so terrible that that should have been enough to topple the incumbent. Um, but here we yeah. have, because of a coronavirus response, all sins are forgiven economically. The, the unemployment rate is off the charts, but you know that's fine because you know we've got to we've got to link arms and get through this together. It, it is exactly the same principle as the topics you uh, raised there. Is the government is hoping that people forget about those things uh, because there's uh, what what they would say are bigger things to worry about as we get through this uh, pandemic and into the recovery. Exactly how credible do you think it is that the Labor government uh, are the only um, state government in Australia operating at the moment without a budget? Are they genuinely uh, distracted and, and got legitimate reasons for not doing that? Or are they really trying to uh, sweep dead bodies under the carpet? It's interesting. Uh, it, it is interesting because, of course, there is no escaping um, you know, th those figures will come out at some stage. Whether there's a political advantage to making sure they don't come out before this Saturday, uh, uh, the cynic in me would suggest that probably those figures would reflect poorly on the government and possibly influence the election. So, look, it would be hard to argue against uh, the fact that they're embarrassed by the numbers or that there's some deep, deep holes in that budget. 
Um, but yeah, rightly or wrongly, we're not going to see the figures before this Saturday. And, and I think uh, that probably suggests that Queensland's in a lot of trouble. And just finally, um, what do you think is playing out in the seat of South Brisbane? I, I think uh, predictions are that uh, Jackie Trad will be weeded out of the parliamentary garden. Um, is that uh, something, in, in your opinion, which is going to come back and bite the LNP, having um, somebody who doesn't, you know, just look polite and is maybe uh, green to the core, um, but is actually a hard, hardcore committed um, extreme leftist, another one sitting in the state parliament. Is that going to uh, be something that the LNP will live to regret or is it a good move to just get rid of Jackie Trad at any cost? Well, it's an, imp- it's an interesting one, isn't it? Because, you know, what we're seeing there in South Brisbane is, is probably the political demise of Jackie Trad, at, at least at state level, whether she bobs back up again in a half-Senate uh, election or, or otherwise in the future is yet to be seen. But uh, history will... Uh, will show that, that this was uh, a defining moment in the LNP's uh, relations with Labor in that it is basically gifting a seat to the Greens uh, and the Greens are an emerging force in state politics here in uh, Queensland with one MP in the last parliament uh, and looking likely to be at least two in this coming parliament uh, if, if the, uh, the polling plays out in South Brisbane. So whether that's a good or a bad thing, uh, some would say that, you know, another seat for the Greens is not that big a deal. You know, what does it matter? At least we got rid of Jackie Trad, who, uh, you know, I get a lot of calls from people in the bush where I'm from and, uh, you know, farmers and others, you know, just consider her to be the most uh, damaging uh, politician ever to to enter state parliament. Um, Others lament that if she goes, uh, she was a real force for the progressive left of the Labor Party and, and a real, um, you know, a, a real bruiser as far as uh, as getting progressive causes up and through the parliament, and some that you touched on earlier. So, look, I think I, I don't know what to what to think. I guess the future will tell because if the Greens continue to develop uh, their their influence in in parliament, and certainly, you know, it would backfire explosively on the LNP if we entered a home parliament situation and that South Brisbane seat ends up being you know the the clincher of a of a labor government or or if the greens end up in some sort of balance of power scenario where you know that that is just an embarrassing look uh, and it, all because of the lnp's um you know what you would consider to be just a cheap uh, political swipe to get rid of an opponent um so we'll see what happens but i think uh, i'll certainly miss jackie trad because she's uh, she's been a huge character as far as you know, Queensland politics goes, a very divisive figure, uh, but nobody could argue she isn't a character. And, uh, mm. look, I think um, I think South Brisbane going forward will be a, a much less interesting place than it has been. I uh, I, I think you're right. I, I think um, there will be a uh, lot of lessons that we could learn uh, from Jackie Trad, especially politicians on the right, about having some conviction and nailing your colours to the mast and then really aggressively prosecuting the case and, and showing some leadership for the things that you believe in. Uh, in her case, she believes in all the wrong things, um, but nevertheless, she's a conviction politician. Um, yep. And uh, I think uh, that's something sadly missing on on the right of politics. But uh, yeah, you, good observation about uh, how much the LNP is risking. It really could come back to bite them. I'm sure we're going to have a bit more to say about that 
in just a second with our panel. But uh, Damien Tomlinson, thank you so much for your keen insights and we look forward to having you on the show again as soon as possible. Great to be here, Dave. Thanks a lot. Well, that's uh, Damien Tomlinson, and uh, there's quite a few things that we touched on there which uh, I'd, I'd like to go into. Um, top of mind, uh, let's um, maybe come back to, to having a chat uh, about Jackie Trad, South Brisbane and the potential minority government in Queensland. Uh, but, you know, I was getting a bit fired up earlier today having a chat to you, Mareka, uh, about the lack of conviction in uh, right-of-centre politicians. Uh, there, I was explaining there was uh, a good friend who was rather enamoured with a local candidate because um, because she was Christian. and um, But at the same time, she expressed a reluctance to prosecute a, a conviction um, platform because she didn't want to seem too extreme or too far out for uh, the people, the votes that she perceived she didn't yet have, votes uh, in the centre. Now, now, this really ticks me off. This really ticks me off in a big way because, as we see, uh, left-wing politicians um, are not at all afraid to be left-wing politicians. We have Anastasia Palaszczuk announcing that uh, the normal charade of the Law Reform Committee is not necessary. They've decided uh, that, um, as political leaders do, they're okay to run with um, euthanasia as a campaign platform. Hmm. Meanwhile, uh, the, the very notion that they might review uh, the extreme abortion laws passed in this term of government is something that Deb Frecklington isn't wanting to prosecute publicly. She's afraid of talking about this, afraid of, of talking about the mistakes that were made in that legislation. Uh, and it's like, well, when we're chasing the centre and the left-wing politicians are chasing the really far-left uh, policies uh, like, like euthanasia and abortion, what hope is there for the future of the country? James, have you got any insight? as to why uh, centre-right, mainstream, you know, Liberal Party politicians are afraid to prosecute a an authentic, pro-life, ethical justice kind of policy platform? Well, I suspect that not all of them hold that platform, Dave. Um, though they're in a centre-right party, I, I'm not sure that everyone in a centre-right party is centre-right and the Conservative Party is not so conservative these days. Um, so true. Secondly, uh, I think that too many politicians are perhaps a little too pragmatic and um, are not prepared to take major risks on such uh, big issues. If I sound a little distracted, I'm very sorry. My son just arrived home and I'm trying to focus on the show. <laughs> I've got a five-year-old trying to find his teddy bear as well, so there you go. <laughs> you, you say you say g'day to your son, James. Steve, we have, uh, we have three politicians in the uh, Liberal National Party, allegedly right of centre, which uh, is to, directly to James's point, uh, but these three politicians... Um, and I'm happy to name them. I certainly don't think they deserve any protection for their uh, amoral, unjust policy positions. 
but it says a lot when you uh, cross the floor to adopt a green left anti-human policy such as extreme uh, abortion legislation with no protections for women. But uh, to my very long-winded point, Jan Stuckey resigned her seat on the Gold Coast uh, un unwilling to face um, pre-selection and re-election um, after crossing the floor and, and voting with the extreme left politician Jackie Trad uh, for her abortion legislation. Um, this is a, a lady who allegedly is, is right of centre. Now, it turns out that although she's not contesting uh, the next election, her husband is. Her husband is a long-time GP, and uh, while her husband, while while his wife Jackie um, ugh, Jan Stuckey um, voted for the abortion legislation, Doctor Stuckey, a GP, wants to be elected so that he can help implement euthanasia, killing people at the other end of of life. Uh, how did we let this family, um, this couple, into the LNP, and and how do we? keep these kind of policies out of our candidates um, is pre-selection perhaps the place where we can start to improve uh, the conservative nature of the conservative party oh i love getting set up um that's my tongue <laughs> and it's biting and um Sometimes yeah. it's good. Sometimes it's good to say no comment, but well, you, but, you're allowed to say that if you like. No, 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 no. It's not fair to you and to people who watch things. Sure, it is. Uh, you, you, no, you've got not, a... no, no, not at all. I don't mind at all. Look, we talk about things that most people behind the audience don't see, and particularly Marika. I'm just so proud. I got the name again. It's fantastic. I want to roll. I know. <laughs> Like everyone knows their backyard, and if you don't know our backyard, that's cool. But we had a fabulous Labor successful politician. His name was Terry McEnroth, and Terry was like the godfather of the Australian Labor Party. And in Joe Bjelke-Peterson's day, we had another very successful administrator called Sir Robert Sparks. Now, as you know, both sides don't like each other, so that's nothing unusual. But both of those parties with those two men had a fantastic structure. And I've spoken with David and to all the audience who don't know Queensland politics, Terry was a very nice guy. And I had a, I had a lot of opportunities to deal, deal with him. And he was a very, very nice man. But we were at different spectrums. But he was very respectful and we chatted and we talked about lots of things. But the one thing that he was very good at was he knew how to win and he did whatever it took to win right into the last gambit but everything was legal everything was fine he did nothing wrong he was just unbelievably tough and he did what he had to do to win so as an administrator he was also obviously a deputy premier of queensland but he has become the labor party's uh blueprint person even though he's deceased and before he left, he obviously has coached them into being a fantastic organisation. And they are ultra-disciplined. And I noticed, David, that you had Anastasia Palaszczuk in the papers recently where the candidates will do what they are told or they will not have their pre-selection. I found that just interesting to actually see it being announced and printed 
in our local papers. I don't know if you caught across that, Dave. But I always say to people of all political parties, if you want to see how it if you want to see the optics of how to win, read about Terry McEnroth. You might totally dislike his politics, but he was imminently successful and his legacy is what are we now? 27th of October at 7.44. His party does two things, which is what politics is about. It's about two things, I believe. Could be wrong. One is to control the legislation, and the second is to control the Treasury finances. The rest, to me, is all stuff. But the essence of winning a parliament is to control legislation and Treasury slash the finances. Terry was driven to do that. And whatever it took, he did. And yep. you're seeing the success of this over and over and over and over again. Marika, how do you think? Um, how do you think conservative politicians can get away from chasing the centre and start just defending and advocating their turf, and perhaps bring the centre over to the right? And I don't mean the right hand as opposed to the left hand, I mean the right instead of the wrong side mm -hmm. of, of particular. I, I don't want to be in the centre of right and wrong, and I think most people don't want to be in the centre of right and wrong. They're looking about at politics oh. as a spectrum between positions instead of a, a spectrum of truth and, and justice. How do we get conservative politicians to start advocating for, for human rights and for justice uh, and for just simple old-fashioned truth? Mm. Well, first of all, you need um, people who are actually true patriots and have courage of conviction, and, and that's severely lacking. Um, we've got these career politicians who are um, there to, to win a vote and they are cowardly. Um, they are absolutely cowardly. They're so scared of being called a name and being called a, right. a bigot or a homophobe or a racist or a conspiracy theorist or, a, you know, that they, they run away from truth. And if we look to what's happening in America with Trump, that man, whether you like him or not, he has courage to just say it how it is and, and people mm. respond to that. And he is, for all his faults and flaws, he is a true patriot. You cannot say that man is not in it for that. It's, it just, it, he exudes it. Um, I think people are looking for leadership and, and we're severely lacking in leadership. And a perfect example would be here in Victoria where we have this dictator um, and it's quite sad to see the, the psychology behind it. I'm not, I'm not sure, but to see people just fall in line and fall to their knees as Daddy Dan, you know, t tells them whether they can go to the bathroom or whether they can have a friend over or, you know, people are actually, they don't want to think about, it's, mm. it's quite sad, but they don't want to think about um, uh politics they don't they actually want um to be governed and 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 that's you know whether we like it or not but you get a, a poor governance in um and and you'll see and so we need good governance we need leaders we need people to craft a narrative I, mm. i'm like why don't you craft a narrative you can sell a narrative and capture hearts and minds and that's what the left do really well like capture hearts and minds they um you know, we've had this discussion, Dave. It's it's 
emo- they use emotion and I believe they use it to manipulate, um, whereas yeah, yep. what we should be doing is to to capture emotion. I mean, we're talking about, for example, when we talk about the abortion laws, and, and that is probably the hottest topic, and not many politicians want to touch it because it's so controversial. Um, but at the end of the day, I mean, the narrative is, is there. We're talking about extreme abortion laws and um, mothers and fathers all across the country, um, if they understood what this actually is and you told them and you showed them and you explained to them and, you know, perhaps you've got to bring things back a little bit to, um, you know, <laughs> policy isn't about extreme positions, so you have to find the, the right position to govern the people, but absolutely you would capture hearts and minds. It was the same as what happened here in Victoria. Someone asked me recently in an interview, well, you know, safe schools, for example, which is obviously um, where I kind of jumped into this battle, um, it, it wasn't an election issue and uh, and in Victoria. And as you know, we got absolutely decimated. Um, but the, the Liberal Party here in Victoria has been hijacked by Marxists and leftists and and um, career politicians and people who are, who are there to, to get themselves a cushy job. Um, and so they will follow the vote where they think the vote is, 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 vote is, and they don't craft a narrative. If you told people what was actually happening, I saw it myself. I saw people thousands of them, mothers on my page who said, I've always voted for the Greens or the Labor Party. My, In fact, my entire playgroup, they were all Labor voters and they've all jumped ship because wow. I, I explained and, and, and changed the narrative. And, and it wasn't because I was... I was just telling them the truth. So yeah, we need we need courage of conviction. We need people who actually care about their children, their grandchildren, and this country. And actually, um, conservative is not a dirty bad word. Don't let the left tell us that it is. It's about conserving these institutions that have given us everything good. So yep. um, I just think get some courage. People are sick to death of career politicians. Yeah. Dave, do you, do you think part of the problem is if if you're a leftist and you betray the left, you will pay a price. You'll pay a dear price. But if you're a conservative and you betray conservatives, we'll all just shrug our shoulders and say, oh, that was disappointing. And, and to that extent, I think the old adage, you get the politicians you deserve, has a degree mm. of truth to it. If, if you're a progressive and you betray the left, your career is over. If you're a conservative and you betray conservative voters, barely a murmur is raised. And I think that's a big problem, that the price for betraying conservatives is not high enough for conservatives to worry about betraying their base. Mm. Yeah, I, 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 I completely agree. Um, now, we've got a question here from Sally Vincent, who is a champion of conservative uh, politics in the nation, first in Queensland uh, with the Family First Party and now in, in New South Wales. Um, and, and and it's a great question and, and maybe that actually speaks to part of her question, James, is the Liberal Party redeemable? Well, you know what, when right-wing voters start um, exacting punishment 
to those politicians who let them down and betray conservative values, who cross the floor like Steve Minikin and Jan Stuckey and Tim Nichols, who betray conservative values and literally condemn Queensland or Australian children to death in our clinics at the hands of Australian taxpayers uh, is unconscionable and they should pay an election a political price for that. Their career should be over just as much as if they started advocating for slavery. It should be the end of their career and they should never be able to darken the door of a right of centre party ever again. They should hang their head in shame and join the unemployment queue. Is there a redemption on the horizon for the Liberal Party uh, without this kind of, of steely determination to be represented? And this comes back to what I was saying before. We've got right of centre politicians who are wanting to chase the centre instead of defend their position. Has anybody got some more thoughts on that without me calling you out by name? Yes. Please, Steve. Okay. So I'm a very tolerant person, Dave. You know that I'll always listen to everyone from no matter what their political sides are, things. I'll always listen with them. I won't shout at them. But I'm a conservative person. And I likened going to the beach and I see the flags where we're supposed to bathe between. And I go and plonk myself in the middle of those flags. And then I see things moving. Now they move this way to the left, they move that way to the right. But then you see sometimes the flag moving and all of a sudden you feel as though you're outside of the flags. Now there's many issues that go to being conservative but I have looked at COVID-19 as an awesome opportunity for Australia to find itself again. I'm looking at my grandparents and my parents. I'm looking at Labor grandparents, Liberal grandparents. They all had one thing in common. They all had two jobs. They all worked as much as they could. They never asked for anyone to pay for them and their way. And I did it for a long time. And at the centre of that was the family. But at the centre of that, again, was that they valued a lot of hard work and going without for decades to make the next generation well off. I was speaking with someone today in Brisbane in another media section. Now, 2021 is going to be an horrific economic year. Mm. I am not the master of doom here it's ob it's observational and it's so obvious the market in australia will will find itself in a perilous situation in april because the benefits will be taken off some will say it has to be because we can't afford it and others will say it has to keep going because we can't afford it but the indications are it's march 28 at that point australia and the australian people are in it for themselves to survive the markets can't and won't reward what's going to happen. There's going to be a severe downturn because what we've experienced so far in 2020 has been artificial, but it's been necessary. No one can disagree with that, but it, all good things come to an end unless we go down and double again and we borrow, and that's a choice the politicians will make. But let's say they don't. You don't get many opportunities in life where you recast everything economic trade, investment, taxation, 
economic things. I'm not talking social things. I've always believed, and this is where it gets contestable, and that's okay, but when the country's well off financially and can pay its way, it then gets the lug to luxuriate in doing all the social things. Next year, the biggest social dislocation to Australia will be a three-letter word, job. And it's going to be really hard, and it's going to make the GFC possibly look like a bit of a picnic. We get the chance, David, and the rest of the panel and your audience to recast how this country economically will be. Are we going to be a great agricultural producer and supplier to Asia, or are we going to talk about it? Are we going to be a great mineral and power supplier with we have all the resources in abundance? It's, you know, I looked at it the other day and I was talking to my son. The list of resources this country has is, in a positive way, decadently obscene, decadently obscene. But we should be taking advantage of it. I'd, I'd liken a, a, a great world to see all of our political parties come together and say, you know what, this country could be a powerhouse of Southeast Asia. We could attract the best of everything. And I'm talking from an economic point because your show always goes on the social line, which is very cool and very, very necessary. But you know me as an economist. I'm looking at this as the Control-Alt-Delete button and reset. Sorry, my mic was oh, muted. Um, I thought it was me again with uh, my IT experience. No, no, that's a, you're Malcolm Turnbull in No, no, it was my fault. Um, how, do, how does this relate to holding conservative politicians to conservative values? Um, yep, okay. So conservative values are a myriad of many things. It's sure. A, it's a mixture bowl of lots of things. It's social. It's economic. Totally. Yep. So you've got to pick the best persons, but at the moment, are the best persons coming out? So I will give you an example. What would incentivize someone who's doing very well in business, who's done very well in business for a long time, who has a great staff behind them, is successful because they've got great customers, great staff, loves what they do, and because of what we're on now, the internet, the world changed from a trade perspective. I can trade with James, and James can be in Muscat, Oman. I can be in Brooklyn, Maraca can be in Berlin, you can be in Jakarta. The world all of a sudden overnight went from being just Australia and just Brisbane and just Sydney and just Melbourne to all over the world. So our business people, what's the incentivization to go into a parliament when James there in the bottom right-hand corner could be doing business in Berlin, Jakarta, Prague, Estonia, and he gets and or she gets great satisfaction out of doing what they're doing. Well, Do what they... was Trump's motivation? Because uh, he's that he's exactly that person, uh, a, a great businessman what, what, who, yeah, yeah. who could motive? be making a lot more money outside of parliament, and yet something in something. in government attracted him something. to lay his life aside and instead focus on draining the swamp. And, and this is exactly what we've got to talk about. How, how do we drain the swamp? I want to drain the right wing. Like, can we just get rid of all these insipid, spineless creatures inhabiting right wing parties, pretending well, to be right wing, and yet voting for abortion and euthanasia? Well, I'll, I'll give you a great example. Like, I've been asked to run in politics for as long as I can ever remember, but I won't. And there's this really simple reason. I promised my children that I would be their dad, and I promised my wife I would be her husband. 
and they come first. Now, someone exceptional does something exceptional and they go and run for parliament when they said mm. that when did they need to. And I respect that. But for me... So we're going to have to wait till you're 74, Steve? No, I'll be dead long by then with too much scotch and having good times arguing with you. But <laughs> I, I get what you're saying, but the, the lure of going into a parliamentary job versus what they could do in other things, they make those decisions. Now, if I was starting out again in my life, and you know what I don't know about the IT world is hopeless of the audience. I'm the world's worst person on technology. I've got my son in the background here fixing everything up. But if I was starting out again, you couldn't get me to go to Canberra and you couldn't get me to go to Queen Street for all the audience and David's think it's Brisbane because this IT thing would just be the biggest party going on since, since Ben-Hur. It's awesome. So what attracts people to go to Parliament is unique. What attracts people to go into service for the military is unique. What attracts people to go into a health professional is unique. So you, you've really got to find those unique people that actually are, are, that are attracted to doing what I would like them to do. Now I get to swing. I get to swing the axe. I think the biggest point that could be made out of this tonight, collaboratively, is the biggest way to influence something is not to watch someone else do it but to actually get involved in yeah. the process. Look, so, and that's a good point. Marenka's often talking about the need to recruit better conservatives to no, to no. the Liberal Party for the sake of, of attracting better people so that when they come in and we find those, those good people, they then get to give the support to the people who, who are currently basically getting up for, for lack of alternatives. Well, I once, I was once never a member of a conservative party and I didn't need recruiting. One day I was just sitting there going, I think I could make a better difference to my community by putting my hat in the ring, by joining a political party and looking under their hood and seeing if I like where they're going. Now, as you know, in any family, there's a lot of contestability, but it isn't about recruitment. It's about you believing in what it is that is attracting you. So when you go to Donald Trump, maybe he saw nothing that attracted him to the Republican Party and thought, bugger it, I'll go in and I'll try and change it myself because he believed that that's how he could be effective. James, I want you to, like, I've heard you say, and, and you're 100% right when you say this, that, that politics is the art of the possible. Um, Absolutely. but, but I think, I think we have people like Jackie Trad who says stuff what's possible. Um, I, I want abortion decriminalized and, and I want to redefine the conversation so that it's considered a, a pursuable good and something to be celebrated and, and high fives exchanged. Uh, when when we achieve, um, I see these people basically prepared to sell everything to bet the farm to implement their vision of society, and I'm I'm captivated by that, and I think that's the kind of of charisma that that Donald Trump has said. You know, I'm going to bet the farm. I'm going to bet big, and I'm either going to win big or or lose big, but I'm not going to leave anything on the table. 
and and I think uh, I guess where I'm going with this is is I want to challenge the concept of, of the 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 mindset conservatives had, which is polite and well mannered and concedes that it is true that politics is the art of the possible. And I think we need to redefine what's possible by demanding the impossible. Um, and I think with that will come some self-fulfilling prophecy. Work with me here and just reflect on, on what I'm saying. Do, do you think we've been too understanding of politicians who are chasing the possible, chasing the centre? Well, firstly, I think you give Jackie Trad far too much credit. I, I don't think Jackie Trad, you know, changed the direction of culture or changed the atmosphere or even the conversation. Um, the the uh, the groundswell in favour of abortion has um, been happening for decades. Um, Jackie Trad required no particular courage or genius to um, just push the laws to an even more extreme point. Um, most of the conversation in the media, in the education institutions, are all heading that way anyway. So, um, you know, I, I, don't, I don't think she's um, particularly brilliant in that regard. Um, politics is the art of the possible because you can only do what you can do. The, the bigger issue is that politics is downstream from culture. So you do get the politicians you deserve because you create an environment in which certain views are held by most people. They are the ones that are propagated in the media and politicians are able to leverage those or politicians are pretty much um, cancelled from being able to speak because the views are not popular. But that started long before someone got into parliament. That happened in the universities. That happened in the media. And and so I think if we want to change the culture, uh, thinking we can just elect a good conservative into government and that's going to fix everything um, is delusional. We've, we've got to reclaim cultural institutions, which goes to things like education, the news media, uh, the entertainment industry and, and so on. Absolutely. Um, Mareka, we have no upper house here in Queensland. Um, the polling and the uh, vibe on the ground, if you like, from uh, my, my little uh, squirrels uh, here and there are telling me that it's going to be a very, very close election and maybe not a lot's going to change. Uh, we may end up with a minority government and the LNP may be incredibly blessed to pick up a single seat. Uh, it may be the case that we have um, independence, uh, One Nation, Cata Party, or possibly um, an increased number of seats for the Greens, forming the balance of power um, and, and uh, essentially holding a minority government um, to be more left or more right. Now, the LNP have preferenced the Greens above uh, the infamous and notorious Jackie Trad uh, in South Brisbane, and that will more than likely be the end of her political career. Me personally, I think at any cost we need to get rid of that woman. Um, but is this possibly going to be, you know, the, the cure um, being worse than the disease if we end up with 
a the Greens holding the balance of of power um, in a Queensland government. What what do you think uh, was the right thing to do there for right of centre voters in in that electorate? Should they be getting rid of Jackie Trad or rolling the dice with the Greens? Oh, the Greens. So in 1992, the Communist Party um, disbanded and uh, and the Greens rebanded and they, they rebranded. Um, and so um, the Greens terrify me and it's the fact that the Greens have had so much power here in Victoria that you see how far we've gone. Um, so in terms of strategy, I'm actually... Queensland confuses me. I normally have a pretty good read on, on the ground and obviously I'm not there, but, you know, it was due to Queensland that we actually, um, you know, uh, were able to win the federal election. And so I always see Queensland as being a far more conservative state. But I think what the discussion has been about tonight is whether or not they've actually been a strong opposition. And, um, you know, here in Victoria, I don't believe we had an opposition when our election and we obviously were decimated. Um, and I wonder if if that's a similar um, thing that's going to happen in Queensland if they haven't actually, you know, what are they campaigning on? Um, is it strong enough to actually mm. uh, make people rise um, and, and, ch- and want to change? Because generally people will want to, you know, like we talked about, stay with the status quo. I, I wonder if um, people are so, from from the feel I get, is people are just so sick of the, the two parties, the major parties, and so I, I do, I would be surprised if One Nation and the Catter Party don't do really well in Queensland. Um, but obviously Good. how how the coronavirus situation has been um managed in Queensland um, may have influenced where people vote because they they think that it's been managed well. But my warning to Queenslanders is if you want to be like Victoria, um, I I absolutely put my, um, I won't (laughs) bet anything on it, but um, I I really strongly feel that if you you elect a Labor government in Queensland, um, you're going to look like Victoria because um, you're... um, Palaszczuk, she actually terrifies me. I think they're they're quite similar, Daniel Andrews and Palaszczuk. So, I, I don't I don't know, um, but I do know that if if, if the um, LNP are too you know soft and they don't campaign well enough, then um, you know Queensland's in in for some interesting years ahead. Yeah, um, yeah, absolutely. And Jackie, uh, Steve- Brad, sorry, can I just say one point? Yeah, in regard to um, Jackie Trad, you know, one of my biggest passions as well is the fact I really, really wanted conservative women in parliament because as a conservative woman, as someone who is a, you know, a mum at home and wanting my kids and all of those things protected, I, I, I don't see women like me in parliament. There aren't many. Um, and, and it's really quite frustrating. But I think we've kind of mentioned that point earlier is that we do have these radical left-wing extreme feminists um, who, who are ideologically driven and they have the time and the, the, um, the passion to do it. And so they get into, into parliament and, uh, and they don't represent mainstream Australia. And that's because I think Steve made the point, you know, um, it's, a, it's a bloody war in that building and you have to sacrifice your family and conservative women um, generally don't want to do that. So we've got this imbalance um, and a misrepresentation, I think, of, of what 
really the mainstream looks like. Absolutely. Steve, how can the Labor Party in Queensland even face a chance of getting elected? How can voters be so stupid as to vote for a government that won't even have a budget? Is there a government in this nation that is operating without a budget at the moment outside of Queensland? And yet Queensland are wanting to campaign with this. Uh, your thoughts on the absence of a budget in Queensland in this election campaign? It's, it's a masterstroke. You always in business and you always stick to your strengths. If money's not your strength, what do you go to? You go to your strength. So the answer to your question is, yes, they will do it. Yes, they are doing it. And they're going to social issues. And when they brought up euthanasia, I said one year ago to members of parliament, they'll throw this in because it's a divisive issue. So they don't want to talk about economics. That's cool. But why be surprised if you're a conservative person? Truly, if you're surprised by this, then, well, sorry, you're not getting it, are you? You Indeed. always feel to your strengths. So I, I, when I was on media today, I said, look, sorry to be long-winded here, Dave, but I said the following. 64% of Queenslanders have already voted. So the conversation's redundant to them. So now you're looking at 33, 36%, give or take, one third of the state yet to vote. If I was running the joint, I'd be saying, right, it's 2022. You've had your Anna, Anna's Horribleness in 2021. It's a shocker. Where is your family standing in 2022? Not on social issues, David, economic issues. Economic issues are to every family as a social. But we're talking right now in COVID-19. Where's your family in 2022? Who's the best person to get you sailing on an economic healthy ship January 1, 2022? I'd flip the narrative like Trump's doing in his country. I'd flip the narrative and say, where do you see yourself in 2022? And who do you want to be the captain of the ship in 2022? Because job keeper, job seeker's gone, David. It's gone. Well, who's going to sail your boat for you? It can't be the government. They're only going to borrow more money. It's got to be business. Look at Victoria. What's the first thing that they all want in Victoria? My goodness, they don't want more government. They want the businesses to open. Isn't it telling? The very mm. thing that you can clearly see right in the state of Victoria is that not one Victorian person is asking for more government to get bigger. They want their businesses and their communities to open. How about that? Business trumping government. Not government trumping business. So there you go, David. It's straight to the point. Budgets? Of course Labor's not going to run on a budget. I wouldn't either. I'd run on what I know can get me over the line. It's a referendum to Labor on COVID-19 and keeping Queensland safe from COVID. That's what they're going to run on. That's what Terry McEnroth would do. So let's not be surprised if we're surprised as a group of people in Queensland, we haven't learnt much, have we, David, and to the rest of the Queensland Conservative viewing audience. If you're surprised by this, that they're not going to run on economics, then where are you and where have you been living? Wake up. Sorry, it's the truth. I would never Is run on economics if I was the Labor Party. Why would I? I think James said earlier tonight, 
it's a litany of disaster. Mm. So what will you run on? The things that will win you office. COVID-19 could win them office. Doing deals with Catter, Pauline, the Greens, it'll give them office. So what would you do, David? I know what I'd do. I'd run on what it's going to look like in 2022. And, with 34% and of the vote to go by... They are campaigning that. brilliantly. They they are campaigning brilliantly. They are playing to their strengths and, and they're being bold with it. And here's the thing. <laughs> You're exactly right, Steve. Here's the thing that the Conservatives, the right-wing uh, politicians need to learn is damn what they say about our weaknesses, damn what they have to criticise us about. We're going to play to our, our people, play to the people who we under... We have Deb Frecklington uh, making climate change policies. If there's a voter who's concerned about climate change, does Deb actually think that her announcement is going to change their mind? And like, you've got to be kidding. Nobody, Nobody's going to believe the LNP on a climate policy at, at all. If that's their number one vote, so, what the LNP so, is believable on is the economy. So let's, stop. so let's stop there, David, as a matter of respect. You're right. You will never get anyone who votes for the left to vote for you. So why would you go to their backyard fighting them on the issues that they own? In exactly. business, yeah. in business, in business, we never do that, ever. We never visit that. We just go, right, James loves Coca-Cola and I'm Mr Pepsi. He's never going to change, so I'm never going to go for him. I'm just going to go and try and get people who are swinging between which cola do I like. That's who mm -hmm. I'm going to go for. So let's stick to what we know people want. In COVID-19, they want money in the bank. They want a job. They want their children who are finishing grade 11 and 12, because remember it's next year as well, so the grade 11s of this year, they want them to have an apprenticeship. They want them to have a job to go to. They want to be able to afford to pay their bills, and they want to look at what's going to happen in their family economically. And they're going to look very quickly in the next six days and go, if it's sold right, who's going to steer me in 2022? Because they know what's happening next year the gravy train of Seeker and Keeper, they're, they're, they're finished. So can you sell what you're good at for the next six days? With 34% of the market yet to make its mind up, you sell what you're good at. We sell, as a conservative group, economics. Labor sells what they're very good at, what they sell. Mm. Now, you've got to get out there and really sell what you know you're good at. And if you haven't got salespeople in your business to sell what you're really good at, all the time, all the time, then after the wash-up, you examine where, how your salespeople did and you make a business call on them. And if the organisation, Pepsi or Coca-Cola, isn't strong enough, then they will get their market share that they deserve. Spoken, David, typically like a boring economist. Sorry. Uh, I, I don't think uh, economists are, are boring at all. I, I think some can be, of course, but um, I think economics is really, really uh, interesting. Um, I, I, in fact, one of my favourite illustrations for people on how to start understanding politics is economy, is, is free markets, is supply and demand um, uh, principles. I, I think they're very, very powerful. So uh, never say economics is boring. That's an that's uh, that that's a slight of blasphemy to me because uh, economics is very interesting. Um, but, uh, as, uh, but, but Steve, if you start talking like an accountant, we're all switching off. 
then <laughs> well, it's history. Then it's well, history. <laughs> well, there's a friend, James, there's a friend of mine who's watching for the first time tonight. He, he classifies accountants and lawyers as value strippers, not value adders. Harsh. <laughs> Harsh indeed. Look, uh, we're going to uh, go around the uh, the panel in uh, just a moment and uh, get everybody's final thoughts for the evening, including election advice. Uh, what what uh, we need to do, uh, us individuals, with the power, utensils, opportunities at our disposal, at our fingertips, to uh, make a better Australia, make better policy, and uh, and a better government. Uh, I want to thank all the all the uh, viewers for tuning in tonight, um, but I also want to especially give a shout out and thanks to the Good Source supporters, those people who chip in a little bit or even a lot every month uh, to just keep the production running here. Uh, we've got quite a, a big team, uh, most of them volunteer, and we need to increase more. Uh, if left-wing media deserves taxpayer funding, um, then right-wing media deserves free market um, voluntary funding. If this is the kind of thing you'd like to see more of these conversations, um, well, don't just tune in and enjoy it. It is free to you, no paywall. We'd love you to keep enjoying it and sharing it, but we'd also love you to chip in, put your hand in your pocket. One of the things we're doing right now is we're actually uh, building a permanent dedicated video studio. So I'm just going to share some of these photos with you because um, it, it's uh, kind of exciting. Uh, this is uh, Bernard Gaynor, and he is uh, in the back shed um, at my place. It's uh, 24 square metres, and uh, there's um, saws and sawdust. And in amongst all that, we cramp um, a, a bunch of uh, lights and cameras and microphones and a, a little cloth green screen. But what we're doing is actually... Uh, renovating that, taking it apart, and dedicating it for the purpose of, of creating conservative media. Um, so you can see there we've moved the door, we're uh, insulating the walls, uh, lining it. There's a lot of recycled timber. If, if you're an environmentalist, uh, rest assured, we're using as, as much um, recycled building products as we can. Um, that's a breath of relief there, sigh of relief there, James. Um, so that whole wall is being dedicated to a green screen, um, just multiple, there's so much. I have to thank uh, Brent, Brent the Builder, who's donating all of his time. And um, I'm spending a lot of my time normally editing articles and producing videos, uh, helping him as a loyal first-year labourer uh, without any skills at all. But um, uh, we've got beautiful timber-lined walls coming up, a gorgeous green screen. And... Uh, we would really love your help on a on a weekly basis or a uh, a one off basis just to help get that happening. Um, honestly, the more funds we have, the more media we can make, the more contributors and, and producers uh, we can compensate for their time away. Um, it'd be great if there was a whole army of conservative journalists, writers, commentators. Uh, in Australia who were actually compensated for their time so they wouldn't have to worry about their family as they worry about the future of media in Australia. Um, and you can help make that a reality. Instead of short-term experiments, um, make it a long-term stable industry in Australia that it's actually uh, possible to pay the bills and tell the truth, uh, bringing balance to the corporate media. 
Um, that's how you can fight fake news um, with uh, shows like ours. And, of course, there's other uh, outlets out there as well. We're not the only ones. Um, and they all do a great job and, and deserve to be supported. Uh, so we'd love to see you participate in, in that way. Mareka, how can somebody make a difference uh, with with what little they have? Um, perhaps they're not called to politics and, and don't feel very articulate. Um, how can they actually um, promote a renewal of conservative principles and conservative politicians uh, in the Liberal Party? Mm. So the first thing that I'm, you know, really, really passionate about is people learning how um, politics actually works because they've kept us in the dark for a reason. How does how does a member of parliament get elected? Um, so actually find that out because once you learn the system, it's quite frightening. Um, you could <laughs> see, you know, um, yeah, how it all how the machine operates. Um, Look, obviously not everyone's called to politics or wants to step out, but, you know, getting around people who are willing to speak up and speak out, people who represent you and your values and being a support for them, um, you cannot underestimate what that is. You mentioned, you know, um, this studio, for example, um, financial. I mean, on our side of politics, we don't have your George Soros's and your, your big donors behind the scenes, um, you know, so um, contributing financially to, to causes that you can care about um, even little bits make a, a big difference um, but ultimately it's about um, look if, if you don't take an interest in politics politics takes an interest in you right and uh, and I think I think Steve made a great point I've I, I agree what he said about recruiting because at the end of the day people actually have to be motivated by themselves to want to actually get involved recruiting Encouraging is good, but ultimately you have to step into it with your own two feet. And whatever party that is, you decide that that suits your values and views. Um, but when when you start to hurt and when you start to see how the legislators um, can ruin your life, as we've seen here in Victoria, um, yeah. suddenly you'll start to to prioritise um, politics because um, it's important. It's 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 how um, we get to have freedom or we don't. Yeah, yeah, well said. Uh, Anxious Aussie says, uh, laughing at me, Dave, you're old enough to have done wood tech when it taught actual skills still. I'm sure I'm not that useless with that. No, I, I do okay. Uh, I wish you had a name. I don't like calling you anxious. That's a, I hope your mum didn't put that on your birth certificate because that is a terrible prophecy over someone's life. James, uh, how do... Um, how do Australians do better with politics? What's your tip? If somebody comes up to you and says, how do I make a difference in, in the government? How do I get a better government? I would say um, listen to what Mareka just said and um, and do it. I'm not sure I can add anything to that. That was a pretty great answer. It was, um, yeah. Look, I, you know, obviously um, investigate what parties and candidates are standing for. Do your homework. Um, don't just vote on sound bites. Take the mm. time to investigate what your local candidate and the party that they are standing for actually do believe. Um, but beyond that, I, I just think it's important to tell the truth when you're talking in your world, whether it's around the dinner table to your children or in the workplace or just it's important to tell the truth. And um, I think that helps everybody when we say what we're really thinking 
rather than keep our mouths shut because, you know, it ought not be said. And, and that's how bad politics perpetuates because everybody assumes that, well, everyone must think that way and, and so I don't want to be the odd one out. Mm. Uh, when in actual fact, there, there's probably a lot of people who, who think like you do but are afraid to say mm. something. But the more people who talk, the more people will talk about what they really believe and, and suddenly some of the things that we keep seeing legislated uh, perhaps are not as fashionable as we thought. It's just that nobody had the courage to speak. I, I think that's really important and that's a, a very simple way. Um, and perhaps it, it's very small, but if enough people do it, it can make a difference. Yeah, I agree. Look, uh, for those viewers who are, are watching, I would encourage you to head to the Good Source. The website is goodsource.news, S-A-U-C-E, goodsource.news. And uh, head over to the shows menu and um, and then click on James McPherson and uh, check out his articles as well as his uh, podcasts that are there. Uh, so we have some excellent podcasts uh, from James McPherson and a very popular article writer as well. Um, but um, the uh, the, art, <laughs> the podcasts will keep you laughing um, as you should. Steve... Hmm. What's your thoughts on on how we um, better influence with the liberal, pluralistic, inclusive structure of democracy that that we've been gifted uh, as Australians? How do we use this system uh, once we understand it? Is there a secret that a lot of people aren't told about, or or is there a common knowledge that people just can't be bothered doing? What's the key to actually um, improving government in Australia if just more of us would understand it and or do it? Hmm. Great question. First thing that you and I have spoken about once before, David, is we were brought up to never discuss politics. I think if you, all of us can remember our grandparents. Never talk about religion, never talk about politics. It was like the two cardinal must-not-dos. Let's go the other way. Let's talk politics. So in my direct family with my children and wife, it's a, it's a hard gig. But the one thing we robustly do is talk about politics. So when you're talking with an 18-year-old daughter for four and a half hours on a Friday night and it's robust and I'm cleaning it up, it's worth every cent because yep. <laughs> we're, we're, we're going hammer and tong because she's on one side of the road and I'm on the other. And by four and a half hours later, we agree that maybe there was a part in the middle of the road we could both get on. Point being is discuss your politics. One of your audience persons, Marmark, said um, how politics works should be a compulsory subject in schools. Yep. Well, Mama, whoever you are, I believe two things. One, you're spot on. And two, we should also discuss how basic finances work in school for our younger people. So politics and money. Mama, I agree with you. I would love to see that happen in school. Basic foundations of how the House of Reps work, how the Senate works, how bills drafted, how it's assented to, etc., etc. You must discuss your politics in your family and your community. So true. I remember as a 10-year-old boy, 9-year-old boy, living in Indonesia where it was the rule of the gun. And I've <laughs> always come home, always come home, remembering the very first day I came back to Australia, I went to a milk bar with my father and I had never seen so much milk. It was red tops, blue tops, gold tops. There was milk everywhere. 
because for four years or three years, whatever it was, we had powdered milk. And I came back to an amazing country where I went into a milk bar and it had chocolate milk, strawberry milk. Never forget it. I've never forgotten how amazing this country is. Answer to your question is, this country is great. It can always be greater. We've got great people, but discuss your politics and never, ever get told to be quiet about your politics. Vehemently and vote, debate it all the time. Do it respectfully. Do it with good manners, but never not discuss it because that's what they call putting it under a rock not to be seen. So if yeah. you're a communist, you're a leftist, you're a rightist, you're a centrist, you're whatever you are, this country is up for grabs for have every bit of discussion, and that's what we're about. So, Mama, I agree. David, end of, end of the point, discuss politics, end the story. Brilliant. The discussion, how to have a, a difficult discussion is a, a lost art and it needs to be recovered and, and retaught uh, along with how politics works. I mean, just don't attack people. Listen to them, understand them, um, and and get bet, get practised and better at listening and persuading other people uh, of your point of view. Steve Kyler, Mareka Rancy, uh, James McPherson, thank you very much for joining the panel tonight. Uh, it's been a pleasure and stimulating conversation. We're right on 90 minutes. The, to the viewers, thank you very much for your comments. Thank you for sharing this and uh, thank you for supporting uh, The Good Source and uh, Pello Talk. And uh, until next week, um, we will see you next time. However, one final promo, this Saturday night, Queensland election, three-hour election night coverage marathon uh, with Bernard Gaynor and Lyle Shelton as well as uh, George Christensen. Uh, we will be in the new studio christening it as finished it as finished as possible uh, by the Saturday night with uh, some more possibly to do later. But uh, don't miss um, the Good Source election night coverage uh, from 6.30pm this Saturday night on the Good Source uh, YouTube channel and Facebook. And uh, until then, we will see you all later. Make sure you vote and make sure you help the best person to get elected. Good night. Time for us to do something.